You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sixers fans, what's up? It's Dio Royster, it's Dave Early. We're back. It's the Out of Sight Podcast. It's been a while since we've actually done some recording, but we're still out here in the Sixers space, the Sixers universe, and we're still out here grinding. We're still out here doing our work as far as keeping everybody abreast of all the knowledge. Dave, how you doing, man? It's been a while since I talked to you. I'm good, and I've always wanted to say, like many uh, many bloggers, what up, Beck? Yeah. What up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> that that voice you're hearing is longtime NBA writer of 26 years, Howard Beck. Love, love your work. Been reading you ever since I really got into like journalism, really started like doing all, all of this work and getting everything set up. So Beck, I appreciate everything you've done for the sports and uh, the journalism community, as well as the NBA. So just want to say that right off rip. Appreciate everything that you've done and continue to do. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, good, good to join you guys. Beck and Nat, and we'll, we'll give you one warm-up question, and we know our listeners want to hear some MVP talk, but uh, you, you've been like you've been an East and West Coast guy. You've done national and beat. What would, would you say that there's like a particular venom towards national guys? I don't think so. No. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, look, uh, if, if, if the – Keyword here is is venom and just uh, fan venom toward whoever. Like that's just everything now. That's just <laughs> that's just Twitter. That's just social media. That's just um, you know. I we, we could do three hours, or I probably could anyway, on the state of fandom because I just think fandom has changed in the social media era um, in many ways that are not for the better. Some ways for the good too. Like with everything with social media, there's it's a mixed bag. But um, I do think in general, like I've, I've joked sometimes about NBA grievance Twitter, where um, it sometimes feels like that's all it's for anymore is for people to just like scream and complain about whatever they think is unfair to their favorite player, their favorite team, their favorite coach, their favorite GM. Um, it, it all gets to be kind of noxious, frankly. And, um, you know, as somebody who was once upon a time a sports fan, I'm a sports journalist now, so I, I left fandom behind a long, long time ago. But um, I I remembered the joys of fandom and I remembered some heartbreak of fandom. I don't remember ever being as angry as I see fans often now. And I don't know how much of that is just the state of our world, um, state of social media, and that everything now has to be expressed as grievance as opposed to just, um, you know, advocacy or joy or whatever else that that is, is part of, of sports fandom. Um, it just feels like everything is is a complaint now. And so, but no, I mean, listen, I've been, I was, you know, a Laker beat writer for seven years from 97 to 04, uh, moved to New York to cover the Knicks for the New York Times from 2004 through basically 2013 with a slight detour to the to the Brooklyn Nets when they first got to Brooklyn. Um, so it was 16 years where I was a beat writer covering a specific team in 
obviously two major markets, and then I've been national-ish for the last 10 years. Um, and it, it, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of the job are the same. My, um, my routine, my purview, my uh, travel schedule are all very different than when I was covering a team full-time. Uh, but I don't think that I perceive my relationship with NBA fans any, any differently. I don't think fans are any more, um, you know, angry at national. I mean, I, I think where your question might be coming from, Dave, if I can speculate a little bit is that, you know, it, it's, you know, a, a fan of the Orlando magic has no real reason to be angry at the beat writer covering the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> But a fan of the Orlando Magic might be mad that a national voice on a podcast or on the 24-7 sports channel uh, somehow has not given enough respect to Franz Wagner or something. And, 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 and national voices are by being by the, the keyword is national, right? Like you're, you've just got a, a bigger reach. And so, um, I, I, you know, you, you, you may not know how the Memphis Grizzlies beat writer feels about Franz Wagner, but you probably have heard, you know, one of us who is considered a national person say it on, on some form. So, uh, or some platform. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see much difference. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think the answer is sort of a selection bias. It's inherent and just because you're talking about it. I, I know from Sixers fans, it'll be like, well, Tim Bontemps came down from the top rope and said this pro Jokic anti and beat thing. And now fans are really oh, yeah. frustrated with him. For example, that's all I meant. Yeah. We're, I mean, uh, look, we, so let me back up for a second here. So the first, however many years of my career are in newspapers, newspapers had a very, um, you know, traditional and, and depending on the newspaper, strict interpretation of how you do your job. If you're a sports writer covering a team, you're a news writer. You're not an opinion person. So, and this is especially true when I was at the New York Times. So when I was covering the Lakers for the LA Daily News, when I was covering the Knicks for the New York Times, when I was covering the Nets for the New York Times, when I was covering anything, I, I, there's a little, there's a certain amount of analysis and, and interpretation that goes into your reporting, but I wasn't an opinion guy. I, I'm not a take guy. Um, I'm still not a takes guy. I, I, you know, that's not, you know, it's not a major part of my repertoire. I don't, you know, enjoy that as much as just reporting and writing on, on, you know, people, trends, whatever. Um, but at some point over the last 10, 15 years, partially the internet era, partially the social media era of the internet era, everybody's kind of merged into doing all things, right? And so we, we are now loosely mixing observation, analysis, opinion, takes, which I, I almost would say is almost distinct from opinion because like it's a subset of opinion that's um, <laughs> in its own yeah. world, it's its own ecosystem, the, the take industrial complex. Um, and... <laughs> you know, we all have to do a certain amount of it. <clears throat> it's not what I enjoy most personally, but I, what you're getting at though, has to do with that part of it. Right. So Tim Bontemps, who, you know, when he and I first met, he was covering the nets for the New York post while I was covering the nets for the New York times. And so, you know, Tim and I know each other well, spent a lot of time together. Um, he was the one uh, guarding me in a pickup game when I blew out my ACL and my left knee in 2012. Um, <laughs> but um but, him ruining you know, lives over and over again. Just love. I it mean, so much. really. I guess what I'm saying is, if Sixer fans are angry at Tim Bond temps, go ahead. Like, you just go go at him. On, <laughs> you know, if, if for no other reason than ruining my left knee, uh, not his fault. I, I should not have been out there. Uh, too fucking old for this shit. Um, but um, 
But anyway. right when Roy Hibbert was blocking Carmelo Anthony at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was very, uh, very akin to that. Tim is really tall and has really long arms. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that comes across on TV. I, I guess it always helps when you deal with uh, fan bases that are so, so kind and measured as Phil of the 76ers <laughs> fans. Um, and obviously we have a lot on our plate right now. Uh, there's the MVP new MVP straw poll came out and Embiid is like two points or votes or whatever ahead of Jokic with Giannis behind probably one of the closest races anybody of us can remember like who do you think would win as of right now who's 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 your favorite who's getting the Howard Beck ticket I do have a vote this year. Um, I've been a voter for most of the of the 26 years that I've been covering the league, and that, that will include this year. Um, I didn't I didn't vote for the nine years I was at the New York Times. The New York Times does not allow its reporters to vote. That is just, uh, the Washington Post has that rule. USA Today, I believe, has that rule. I can't remember. If, I think the Associated Press might have that rule. I'm trying to remember, maybe they don't. Um, there, there are some news organizations that, that don't allow their, their reporters to vote. Again, going back to this more old school way of, of, of viewing these things, which is that we're not there to make the news, we're there to cover the news. And so right. I very much respected the Times having that rule while I was there. Um, I have certainly availed myself of the ability to do it when I have not been working at the New York Times, though. So, um, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an honor and it's a responsibility and one I take really seriously. Um, is it the, uh, you know, you know, Based on on traditional journalism rules, it, it probably you know I, I can't disagree with anybody who would say that we probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, there 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 is some you know there are some lines that, that get crossed there um, that you know uh, and you can you can even you know relate this to the discussion we're having about fan response and the way they view us, which is that if it erodes fan faith, I should say reader faith, right? Viewers, right. readers, listeners, whoever. If it, if, it, if it erodes their confidence in us, in our ability to be objective and fair, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it, right? Like, that would be the argument. Like, all the stuff that's going on with the MVP debate and how much it's spun out of control, which we're going to get into, you know, that that is proof, I think, to um, traditional, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, the, the, the hyper-traditional part of, of the journalism industry that I've been part of for a long time would say, yes, this is exactly why we shouldn't be voting. This is all, you know, there's, there's nothing to be gained here. There's plenty to be lost and it, and it can, it can only hurt uh, credibility because now fans view you as, well, you didn't just vote for this guy. Now you're viewed as maybe an advocate for that guy. And that's one of the things that I think is really important in, in my industry is that you don't cross the line from, um, from the voting for somebody on a ballot because you're asked to choose. Well, somebody has to be the best. So who was it? Somebody has to be the six best guards for all NBA and the six best forwards for all NBA, whatever choose to do it. That does not equate to being an advocate for any of those people. It just right. means I sat down, I looked at all the possibilities and said, well, in my view, best of that I can come up with, with my observation and my analytical abilities, my history of covering the league, this is who I think was the most deserving. It doesn't mean I dislike the other guys. This is one of the funny things. It's like you put somebody second on an MVP ballot. Suddenly you, everybody hates Joel Embiid because he was second. Like he was, he was second. Like I had this same issue, the way people responded to the years where James Harden was second to Russ or second to Steph Curry or whatever. It was like, he was second, like four out of five years. Like that's pretty fucking good. Like you yeah. know, if you, if you tally people's MVP points over the course of their career, um, Harden would, would chart out really well in that regard. 
um, because he had a lot of seconds and he had the one first. Um, and, and we can get into if you want to later about how I voted those years. But um, but it, it's this idea that ranking somebody second or third in an MVP race suddenly means like you are an advocate for a partisan for for the guy who you put at the at number one is is a total fallacious view of it. Um, and then that you were somehow disliking the other guy. If I dislike the guy, why would I put him second at all? Like, yeah, like, he would be off the list. All, all of these things get, again, the, the conversation is so out of control and people's partisanship as fans and as organizations trying to put their thumb on, and this is how I see it, that like they're put, trying to put their thumb on the scale and trying to you know, pressure the media into going a certain way. Like if you don't vote for our guy, you hate him. If you don't vote for our guy, you're an idiot. If you don't vote for our guy, you just don't understand basketball. That's the stuff that's gotten out of control. And that's the stuff where at certain points, I kind of think like, my God, is this worth, (laughs) you know, being part of this, if this is what we're going to get in return. And so you just, instead, you just kind of tune it out. Remember that people's passions are part of what drive the sport. And those passions can go in positive or negative directions and everywhere in between. And you take a deep breath and you open up 50 spreadsheets and, and basketball reference tabs and you try to figure it out. <laughs> Here's all, This has always been my point as far as the MVP race goes. And I catch a lot of hell on Twitter for this because I write for the Philadelphia 76ers. But I, as far as what Perk said and JJ and all like that, that has no bearing whatsoever on my pick. I am an African-American male. If that is how Perk wants to do his vote, fine. I'm not going to argue with him, whatever. This is my criteria, and I've been saying this for about a month or two. Dave can attest to this. If Nikola Jokic averages a triple-double and the Nuggets are the one seed and the Nuggets have a better record than the Sixers, he is the MVP in my in my book, period. That's not a slight on Embiid. That's just saying that, okay, Jokic has all of the numbers Plus, he was a one seed in the West. Plus, they had a better record than the Sixers. In my view, that is a fair argument for me to make for Jokic. If you want to make a case for Embiid, however you want to make it, fine. I will accept everything. Embiid is more than deserving. But right now, if that particular criteria is met, Jokic is the MVP and no one should have any problem with that. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at most most years, there are at least two and sometimes three players who, if any one of them won, you'd say, yeah, that's reasonable. Like if you didn't have a vested interest as a fan or as an organization, you'd say, yeah, that's 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 fair. And we've had some years like that. There are some years where it's obvious, right? The year that Steph wins unanimously. Uh, clearly, it was obvious to, to everybody that <laughs> Steph was the guy then. Um the year that LeBron won almost unanimously, um, denied it by one vote by my good friend, Gary Washburn, uh, <laughs> who uh, uh, we were uh, co-workers at the LA Daily News way back in the day. He's, he's in Boston these days, but you know Gary voted for Carmelo that year. And listen, he had a strong case for Carmelo. I didn't believe in that case. Um, I disagreed. And so did you know 99% of, of all voters. <laughs> but, um, but there are years where like, it seems like there's a clear favorite and a, and a clear winner and people even if they like their guy better they don't really argue it then there's years like this there's years like the last couple of years frankly Giannis is an all-time great a generational talent incredible so is Jokic so is Embiid and they're all worthy and to answer Dave's question that I did not answer from a couple of minutes ago 
I'm still not going to answer it because the ballots are due in about 12 days or so. And like, I'm not, I'm just not going to like stake myself in a position now where I have to then explain why I changed it 12 days from now, because honestly, guys, I I, I can't, like I participated in all three of Bontemps' straw polls and um, agonizing each time and different answer each time, by the way, as a lot of people were, you can see over the course of those straw polls, clearly it's, it's changed for everybody, but that's how the season goes. That's why you play the games. That's why there's 82. As we sit here on March 30th, we have not seen all 82 yet. And the, the, this race is so close in my view that I want to see how these last, you know, two weeks, week and a half, whatever play out, where does everybody have been the standings? Where do their respective teams finish, uh, you know, compared to each other? Um, is anybody just going to like mail it in for a few games? Is anybody like, yeah, guess what? The last week of the season matters as much as the first week of the season as matters as much as a, a week in April as a week in February as a week. Like you have to take into account all the data and um, in, especially in a, in a race this close. And I do think it's that close. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it ends up, but um, Jokic has a really strong case. My, so I didn't vote for Jokic last year. This is a, as a quick side note. I voted for Jokic the first year he won. I voted for Giannis last year. Um, I can't remember where I had Embiid last year. I think probably third. And I, I, I might've had him second to Jokic the first year, but uh, all this stuff, by the way, is available online um, because we have voting transparency, which we can discuss too. Um, but I, and, and as you can see, like, I do not commit these things to memory. Like I vote, I turn in my ballot and then, I, and then I forget about it. Like, and it's not because it doesn't matter. It's just because there's a bazillion other things. And I put a lot of work into it on the week that I do it. And then it's, I move on. Um, but I, you know, um, where was I going with this? So I did not vote for Jokic last year in part, in large part, because I'm a big stickler for the, and this is now considered like some, some kind of crazy old school view of this. I think you need to be on a 50 win plus team or the equivalent in a shortened season. Right. Ooh, okay. Um, I think you need to be on a, t- you've got to be on a team that matters. That is the tradition or the history, the precedent of this award over the last 40 years, there have only been like two major deviations from that. And they're both in recent years. One was Russ and one was Jokic last season. Um, the, tra- the, the history of the MVP and the NBA by and large is a great player who had a great season playing for a great team or at least a team that you could see as being a plausible contender and so you know if you're a great player who had an off year you know some that that's why lebron doesn't win every year right lebron's been the best player in the nba for most of his career but he didn't win every year because he had some down years by lebron standards or years where somebody else had a better overall season you might still say i'd take lebron every time if i could pick anybody in the league during those years but if somebody else had a better season they had a better season um and then the, the, the great player thing or the, the, um, the great season thing or the great, great player, great team, great season. It, it matters that you're on a team that, that matters. And again, look at the history of the award. And that's by and large been the case. And if people disagree with that and they think, no, it should be more like baseball where like, you know, you could be on the 12th best team in your conference, but you had the best season. You're the MVP. Like, I don't believe that. And by the way, everybody has a cutoff somewhere. People don't want to be as rigid about it as maybe I'm being with the 50 win minimum. Um, or with but, me and my criteria. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody does have some standard. Like if I said to, to most people, if I said, look, if Jokic had these same numbers and they were th- somehow 13th in the West, 
is he still MVP? People would say, no, oh, no, no, of course not. Okay, well, then you have a, you had, you do have a wins standard. It just, we may have it in different places. Uh, I totally, think it's totally fair. Just for a little, little background for the way that uh, you coming on here came to be, yep. you had an appearance on the low post pod and you and Zach Lowe are a little bit frustrated. I guess the conversation might've even surprised you with Daryl Morey and his sort of overt social media campaigning for Joel Embiid and not just campaigning, but maybe in your view, it sounded like contributing to this toxic discourse, contributing to a false binary where you're for Embiid or you're against freedom as you came up with an analogy, comparing it to (laughs) to politics a little bit. Um, You must have been some kind of like some, some subconscious like Philly thing, like Liberty Bell, you know, yes. whatever. Like I, there's some colonial times. There's a constitutional. I don't know. There, something in my in my in my brain somehow wired freedom. to. But it's also the fact that like it, it, like this is this this is the state of our country. Right. Um, everything is either you're you're you know, you are either with this thing, you're for this thing or you're you're against uh, freedom. You're against every you're, like, you're against the American way. You're against, you know, like. We, we don't have any nuance anymore. Everything is, is the extremes. And so I think the freedom thing was just partially that too. It was a, some, something it, to do with our political discourse. Do you, it's also partially, it's also possibly our fault because Daryl's been here for a couple of years. So like after you've lived here for a little bit, then you get the, 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 the Philly mindset starts to creep in a little bit. And you say <laughs> and do things that you wouldn't normally have said like 10, 15 years ago. Do you, well, feel, do you feel like Daryl's campaigning works against his motives at times for example it sounds like you and zach who have a vote um i think yesterday seth partner was sarcastically tweeting oh i wonder how this discourse got so toxic um i think back to also his compiling like an officiating thing for the rules against game seven in 2018 and then we see 2019 and there's even more of those sort of landing zone fouls on Chris Paul and James Harden from refs that he was upset about in the first place. Do you think it's possible that his campaigning backfires and frustrates some people? Like, could someone feel turned off by Joel Embiid's campaign because Maury is contributing, in your opinion, to this discourse where it's Joel or you're anti-America? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think anybody's ever, like... So there's a hundred of us who vote. I should, I should back up. This is actually an important thing. And I admit I put yeah. this in my, my little notes to myself to, to make sure to, to note to you guys, because I want to de- demystify this process or at least inform people as much as I possibly can. Um, there are a hundred voters. Uh, there used to be more in the 120 to 130 range back when local broadcasters, you know, the team broadcasters were part of the voting pool. We went to transparency, meaning Everybody at some point uh, or, or the, the public at some point after the season, after all the, the awards have been handed out, the league will post all of our ballots online. You can see how I voted, how Zach voted, how everybody voted. We started transparency in 2014. By 2017, they had decided to eliminate uh, local broadcasters and any other team employees, meaning if you wrote for the dot com, anybody who is on a team payroll cannot be part of the awards voting process anymore because clearly they have a conflict of interest. Right. So Mike Green, for example, who does the Knicks wouldn't be able to vote. I don't believe so. No. Okay. Um, so, you know, if, if, if Mike did not have the Knicks job uh, broadcasting position, but was just ESPN, then sure he could. Um, but 
transparency and the 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 advent of that in 2014 put all those broadcasters who had long been part of the voting pool in a really awkward position. But it also, I think, you know, and this is no just I'm not casting aspersions on any of them. I think all of them are clearly capable of, of being objective about this, but it's not fair to put anybody in that position when they're drawing a paycheck from a team who now you're put in a position of either you're voting for the player you're covering on that team and, and whose employer is paying you, in which case you look, it looks like you're being a homer. It looks like you're being biased. You vote against them. You're risking backlash from your own employer and that player and that fan base and everything. Yeah. Um, so that's not the case for someone like me. I'm not on anybody's payroll except for whoever's employing me at a given time, the New York Times, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, whoever, um, whoever, it may be, whoever it may be next. But I'm not drawing a paycheck from somebody who can be, who could, who could take it out on me if I didn't vote for the player that I'm covering. Um, so there's 100 voters now. Of those, about 30 are coming from the 30 specific NBA markets. Another 10 are international media. And then the rest are some combination of national print and broadcast media. So that's the voting pool. That voting pool has changed over time, of course, because the, the media um, has itself changed over time. You know, which media are covering the league? Um, the size of the voting pool has changed based on the league's own you know, decision about how to, to structure that voting pool. The league has done a lot to try to make the voting pool more diverse over time. Media itself has become more diverse over time. Um, it is not nearly diverse enough by either gender or race uh, metrics. And that's obvious if you look at, at the voting pool, the league does its best from, I think, to construct as, as diverse a pool as it can, given what the state of the media's own demographics are, right? There's still probably more middle-aged white dudes like me than any, than any other category. And so it, it makes it difficult for the league to make it tr a truly diverse voting pool because you know, we're over-indexed. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to point that out. So that's that's the voting pool. Um, and, and, and again, there's transparency when the when all the awards are done, um, the league will post a link. I always post it on Twitter because I want people to see it. If you want to see how we voted, here's where it is. If you if you disagree, if you agree, if you this idea, you want to hold people accountable or whatever, you want to argue with us, whatever. There, there's it, it's all right there. It's all right out in the open. Do you think that there should be some accountability for that trans given the transparency that we should keep an eye on this. For example, thinking about Daryl Morey's tweet that frustrated Zach Lowe, the point was essentially, you know, if you argue wins don't matter that much last year, and now you're on TV arguing wins matter a lot. The six seed was irrelevant last year. The one seed is crucial this year. Should we look at you? Should someone rem remove a vote, lose a vote? Should there be that type of transparency? <laughs> there's only going to be a hundred. Well, there's only going to be a hundred yeah, yeah. people, and newspapers like the Times and the Washington or whatever are self-selecting and saying our people are objective. So the voters maybe not quite as objective as you were when you were with the Times. I wouldn't example. say that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't draw that conclusion. It, 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 it's not. You that. know what I'm it's, it's just that the. Yeah, I, I get what you're asking. I just wanted to make sure I don't let that go unchecked. Sure, uh, like, sure. it, it's, <laughs> No, listen, it, it, it's important. I don't mean to be insulting about it. I, 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 people in my business take great, great pride in, especially those of us who came up as traditional journalists. And people have come into this business, by the way, through various channels now. So some people have come up the fan blogger route where it's very clear that they are fans of a given team. I came up at a time where being a, a fan is, is that's, that's the, not the antithesis of, but it is excluded from my line of work. 
I'm not a fan of any team I'm covering. I, I don't have any emotional response to wins and losses. I don't. Who did you grow up rooting for? Was it the Warriors? Was kind of, but the Warriors. Su- so I grew up in San Jose, California. The Warriors sucked for most of my uh, life, and the besides that, <laughs> even, be- wow. even before. Even before him, though, even before him, like run TMC was the pinnacle of the Warriors during my formative years. But uh, the, 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 frankly, they just weren't that uh, on the radar as yeah. I was a kid growing up in, in the 70s and 80s in, in the Bay Area. The Niners were supreme for a lot of that. You know, the, it was a Joe Montana era. I'm a sports writer because of Joe Montana, mm. frankly, like mm. not 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 because of. Uh, Mitch Richmond um, and, <laughs> or not, and not because of Joe Barry Carroll for sure. Um, so yeah, I grew up at a time of, of the Niners dynasty, um, the Niners, Raiders, A's, Giants. Those were the major teams in the Bay area. The Sharks didn't exist yet. Stanford and Cal at any given time might be somewhat in the ether, but it's, I don't think the, I don't think of the Bay area as a big college sports scene. It was, you know, Giants, A's, Niners, Raiders, Raiders left, Raiders came back, whatever. Sharks be, are invented at some point. Had the Sharks been created when I was still a kid growing up in San Jose, I probably would have become a huge hockey fan because the idea of having a, a team in, in my own city that I could wear shirts of would have been awesome. Uh, alas, I grew up at a time when San Jose only had San Jose State. Um, and so I, I, I didn't grow up as that big of an NBA fan. That like the, My NBA interest came later and so I, I really have never had to worry about like shedding some allegiance because there really wasn't one <laughs> i'm i'm an nba diehard i follow this stuff like crazy but i was not really aware of all this transparency that began in 2014 i've never really looked it up to see who voted for who but you seem to know pretty well and i think earlier you alluded to something like i, I may know that there are certain problems here or there do you think that there are pockets of allegiance? I know Daryl was joking, but not joking that there's like a Boston media contingent that plays out in these voter things. If only your uh, listeners could see me rolling my eyes. Um, <laughs> he did. I can confirm he rolled his eyes. I can, yeah, I, can, uh, I can do a screenshot and then post that on Twitter. But could there be a Boston one or a California one or a Texas no. one or a Knicks one? I mean, I mean, listen, could there be anything? Could. I mean, sure. But um, I it would be fun to do this. So, so first of all, Daryl made the Boston comment and in the wake of Joel not making uh, starter for the all-star game, the media out of the three voting bodies, fans, players, media, the media had uh, Joel Embiid as a starter. So if the media were the only voting body, Joel would have been a elected a starter for the all-star game. So the idea that the media was somehow denying him at all was ludicrous on its face. Daryl knows that the Boston thing is also ridiculous. And Daryl knows that too. And he certainly knows it by now after many of us have, have have talked to him, um, including, including me, Um, you know, there, there, if you went through the, the hundred, the hundred voters from last year's postseason awards, which I think are probably the same body close enough to, to this year's all-star voting body from the media side of it, which is what Daryl was, uh, complaining about at the time. Um, I, I don't even know how many Boston-based people you would see. I think he's alluding to the idea that, well, Bill Simmons is a Boston guy. Bill Simmons runs the ringer. And now there's these other ringer employees. And like, I don't know, was Daryl saying that everybody who works for the ringer is now part of the Boston media mafia, even if they weren't Boston born or Boston fans themselves? I, I don't even know where that goes. Like it, it, it was nonsensical on its face. Um, also, by the way, y- you know, you may be surprised to find, and I don't think they do transparency on the All-Star, but they do it on all the postseason awards. 
go look at the history of, of whoever you think of as quote unquote Boston, see who they voted for. You're, you're not going to find like they're reflexively religiously voting for, you know, Tatum Brown smart all the time. Like it, it, it doesn't go that way. Um, you know, is Zach Lowe part of the Boston media mafia? Because Zach, you know, once upon a time was a Celtics fan. Zach has talked and written about the fact that over time he lost his fandom because he's a journalist who's covering the league and can't, you know, afford to, to have those, you know, those biases. Like he's just not a fan anymore. For most of us, that's the case. We're not approaching this as fans or as I grew up here. Therefore, I have this, uh, you know, allegiance or whatever. It just doesn't work that way. Um and if, and if anybody, you know, if people want to say, well, they're subconsciously, whatever, like, okay, fine. Theorize all you want. Where I draw the line for me and where Daryl crossed the line for me. And again, I don't mind saying this on a podcast because I've already said it to Daryl, you know, <laughs> more than once in person. <laughs> um, and he knows where I am on this. We have, like, Daryl's great, by the way. Daryl and I have had some phenomenal debates over the years. We've known each other almost since the beginning for him, or not the beginning with Boston, but when he first took over in Houston. We've known each other a very long time. I've written about him. I've been to you know, the Sloan Conference many times. We've had some knockdown drag out fights. Um, <laughs> we, can laugh, we can laugh about it. He's occasionally crossed a line and then said, you know, maybe I got, went a little too far there. I'm like, yeah, Daryl, you did. Um, so it, it's fine. Like, you know, I have great respect for Daryl's intellect and his knowledge about the game and the way he analyzes it. But Daryl, as much as people want to tag him as, you know, you know, the, you know, as, as Dork Elvis, as Bill Simmons tagged him as, as this nerd king of basketball analytics and everything else, Daryl is as moved by his passions as, as anybody I've known. He's not some Vulcan out of Star Trek. Like, <laughs> yes, he's a very, he is a very he's uh, a fan. I think, overall he's a fan. and, and He's a, he, I mean, he's, he's also a very logical, analytical person who's really smart about the data and everything else. But Daryl's moved by his passions. And I respect that. I just I just ask that he and everybody else who are moved by their passions, take a deep breath and check yourself before you start sweeping uh, or start, start painting with a broad brush or making assumptions or trying to mind read. And this is the, the where the discourse goes off track a lot of times is that where people now, instead of just saying we disagree, you guys picked this MVP. I thought it should have been this guy. Instead of it being just a disagreement on the merits about, well, why didn't you consider this? Well, I did consider that, but I thought it was counterbalanced by this. Instead of that being the discussion, it's these assumptions about people's intent or an agenda or a conspiracy. Everything is somehow mind reading now. And it's like, you know, even as I'm talking, I have, I've, I've used the, the, the royal we a few times or, or just the universal we for my fellow media members or voters. I can't mind read the other voters either. Really what I'm saying is this is how I see it. Um, for me, I, I should not try to speak on behalf of 99 other voters or hundreds of other media members. So all I can tell you is that, you know, I try to look at this as rigorously and as fairly as I can. I do not have any personal biases involved based on where I grew up or any teams that I rooted for. And not even based on, I want to dismiss this one too, or, or just address this one too, because people say like, ah, oh, well, you guys, uh, you know, you don't like a player because he's, you know, not good to the media or he's mean or whatever. I don't want to go too far with this, but I will just say there have been at least a couple of MVP winners uh, over the last 10 years who not necessarily the most cuddly with the media, um, and, and, and sometimes have had some rough times with the media and have still won MVP. So we're clearly we're, we, I, I don't think we are holding it against anybody 
um, that sometimes some guys are better with the media than others. Like if it were just who was great with the media, uh, the MVP every year would be everybody's like 10th man. Cause those guys are awesome. <laughs> to that point, Joel can be a little bit brash and Brian Windhorse has said straight up. Yeah. The media doesn't like them. Do you think there's fairness I, I, to that? Have you seen it was really funny. So you, you sent me the doc, which I appreciate. I asked you ahead of time, tell me, give me a rundown of some of the things you might want to address. And that was on there. And I'm like, I don't, have any recollection of this. So, so I went and Googled it and I couldn't find much on it. And then when I did find it, um, whatever the video or sound file was that was attached on a Reddit is no longer available. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what the context of that was. I don't know what Wendy actually said. So I don't really want to get into that. Um, I will just say- Have that you I, seen any of it then? No. No. And especially with Joel, like Joel's <laughs> a delight. Joel, like fun, fun player, great player, fun personality. Like we're suckers for great personalities. Like- you know, if we have certain biases, it's who makes our jobs easier by being really fun, not not just whether or not they're sitting down for a 10 minute interview or, or good in, in press conferences. But like, like, think of Tim Duncan, who won, I don't know how many MVPs uh, Tim Duncan won. What is the first word that comes to mind when we think of Tim Duncan other than fundamental or great? Boring. Boring. Because <laughs> Tim Duncan was boring. Did he, did he fail to win awards because he was boring? No. Um our bias, if anything, again, is like Kawhi, eh, not that much fun. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid's a freaking blast, right? Um, you know, Draymond Green, uh, fascinating to cover. Is Draymond Green a polarizing player? Sure. I think more so for fans than for media. We're going to discuss some of what Draymond does on a day-to-day basis because he does cause a lot of ruckus. Um, but even if you were saying Draymond Green was, you know, out of control the other night, he shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that, it doesn't mean you don't like him. Like there have been times that I've like, I, I genuinely like Draymond. I love, I love dealing with him, talking to him. Um, he's been great for stories I've worked on over the years. He's a great player. Doesn't mean I can't be critical at times too of, of things that he's done. And he gets that. Um, and I, I, I like Embiid. I don't know why, again, I don't know what Brian Winhurst said or didn't say uh, on a well, podcast. Let me, let me pick a more recent ago, example. But- Yesterday yeah. or the day before it came out, an interview with Shams Charania where Joel was pointing out, you know, first he says the usual, I don't care about the MVP, but then he backtracks and says something like, but if the Vorps and Schnorps, as Eklo said, it tell you that one guy is much better at defense and the eye test disagrees, and then he ultimately makes a campaign for himself. Does something like that turn you off? When people, Sixers fans were saying, oh, no, he shouldn't have said that because then he missed the no. game against the No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. I, I, here's, a, here's a list of things I don't mind. I don't mind um, a player advocating for himself for whatever. I don't mind um, the coach or the GM or the, or the fans advocating for that player. You can advocate for your player without tearing down the rival. You can advocate right. for your player without tearing down or impugning the integrity of the media. And, and yes, I do get a little defensive about that is obviously a longtime member of the media. And I, I don't mind saying that um, because I think we're doing our best. You can say that we got it wrong a given year and you can tell me why you think we got it wrong. And you can point to the data. You can point to the standings. You can point to whatever you want to point to. Just don't tell me it's because like, Oh, you've got it in for this guy or you just guys love this guy more or whatever. Like it's not that like, it's agonizing filling out these ballots. It's time consuming <laughs> filling out these ballots. As I said earlier, I consider it an, an, an honor and a responsibility and especially the responsibility part. So you do your best to get it right. But like, there, first of all, by the way, most of the time there is no quote unquote right. It's just your best judgment. And um, 
you know, everybody's process is probably different. Everybody's um, view of how to do this is probably different. And because the awards do not generally have definitions attached, everybody's interpretation of what MVP even means is different. And we all know this because every year people start saying, well, it should be this guy, because if you took him off of that team, they would be, and you start hearing all these different frameworks, but everybody's got a different way of defining it. And so I know, so to your, to your question, no, I don't mind Joel and B. I don't mind anything he said in that interview the other day that you're, that you're citing. Um, and by the way, a lot of the analytics, the, the advanced stats that are being used, um, I think maybe overused now, even people, friends of mine, Seth Part now included, um, and other people who, who I've talked to will tell you, like, don't treat, um, whether it's PER or VORPS, SHNORPS, uh, wind <laughs> shares, box plus minus, the other box plus minus, the, the real plus minus, the, e, the, the EPM, like, none of these all-in-one stats are infallible and we're now treating them some people i feel like are treating them as almost infallible like well if you are number one in all of these advanced all-in-one metrics you must be the best player that is a that is that is a that sounds like a logical conclusion it's not because those formulas are not infallible they have some biases baked into them you should use them as a tool and as a guideline not as some absolute answer and as i've said many times and i wrote last year and i will say it again if Figuring out the MVP were as simple as creating an algorithm or taking all the algorithms and combining them and have the computer just spit out a name. Cool. We can just do away with voting entirely. We can take out the human element entirely. We'll just ask chat GP, you know, uh, the, uh, the uh, chat GPT to spit out the answer and tell us who the MVP is. And we can just go on about our way. Um, we just have NBA Skynet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? that's not interesting. That's not fun. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what would anybody argue about if the computer just told us who the MVP was? I mean, it would rob everybody of content for, you know, the next 10 months. So, yeah. All right. We got to, we got to flip to a turbo off right here because we only have a minute left or so. Do you think that there's real smoke to this Harden back to Houston thing? What's your take on that? I think it's weird. My, my, my biggest takeaway is that it's weird. Um, the, the, to me, Very it's not strange, especially at the time that it came out. Right. Well, but everything about it. Yes, that too, but everything. Like, I don't think it makes sense for him. I don't think it makes sense for the Rockets. I don't make, think it makes sense on any level of any framework. Like Not it just, it's, it's weird. Um, I, I, I get it from the standpoint of, you know, his affinity for the city of Houston, um, his, his ties there, um, whatever, fine. But as a basketball matter, it makes no sense. As a legacy matter, if he cares about trying to win championships, it definitely doesn't make any sense. Um, no, it does not. Should, <laughs> and, by, and by the way, we didn't get to this, but like Harden's quietly having a really good season and a season in which he's been really good in a lesser role. And if there was any doubts that some of us had, and I had them personally, um, when he first got to the, to the Nets um, and, then, and then in Philly too, it, it was, can James Harden remake himself in his you know, mid to early 30s or early to mid 30s while playing with another superstar in Joel Embiid or previously with uh, Durant and, and Kyrie. And actually during the short time that they were together, he was actually really good at becoming, you know, making himself more the facilitator than the scorer that he has been able to ratchet down his usage, ratchet down his control of the offense and still be very efficient and very effective um, and, and still a, a key playmaker for this Sixers team, I think probably has not gotten enough notice or enough praise. Um, 
but didn't make an all-star team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but, but also like the guard core in, in both conferences is just so, um, it's so stacked. It is it's so, so stacked. stacked. Right and, and yeah. And, and to answer your, you know, the question you guys had thrown in the doc about all NBA, all NBA, like, I don't think he's going to make it because there's just too many guys. Um, that said, it doesn't mean he's not having an outstanding season. And I think does deserve a lot of praise for the way in which he's kind of refashioned himself. That's not easy to do when you're used to being the guy who has the ball in your hands all the, all the time in a heliocentric offense, putting up, you know, 35, 36 usage rates. Um, so I, 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 I think he's, he's had a great season and I think his best path to me, and I always say like, it's not our place to tell these players how to live their lives or what's going to make them happy. But if he wants to win championships, he's clearly in the best place to do that right now or to, 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 or to, you know, be in position to do that. Um, you think he'll get a max? Leave, and if he's going to leave, going back to Houston makes no sense in that regard. Um, I don't know about the contract stuff. Like, I, I don't know, who knows? Like it, it, that those things are always hard for us to, to figure out because there's market forces at work and how many teams have cap room, how many teams that have cap room does he actually make sense with? It's the same thing with like the Kyrie situation, right? Like, oh, yeah. well, could Dallas, you know, Dallas could lose him. All right. Could they, how many teams, the cap room really are going to, you know, are in a position where they would spend it on him as opposed to, you know, their young teams and they may not, they're not a Kyrie away from whatever. Like it just, so anyway, the, the, the estimating salaries or what a guy might make is, is hard sometimes given all these various market forces. And are we sure Kyrie is what's best for Luca right now? Like I, I, I was confused by the Kyrie trade myself personally because I was just like, okay, Luca needs the ball and Kyrie needs the ball. Um, you guys are aware that only one basketball is played any given game, right? Like not like Luca doesn't get one and Kyrie doesn't get one and like all the points count. Like that's not how it works. Yeah, it was a problematic trade from the get-go. Um, I didn't expect them to be this bad. Um, and, and both those guys have missed some time, which is contributing to this, of course. But um, that trade may potentially prove to be absolutely catastrophic for the Mavericks. But, you know, we got another week and a half to go here. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Howard Beck, thank you for your time and speaking with us today. Would love to have you back whenever you have time, either before the playoffs or even after the playoffs. Uh, hopefully before we have to go to a parade on Broad Street, we'll see what happens. But uh, Howard, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us. No, I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Um, happy to, to uh, come back anytime. And um, yeah, good luck to uh, you guys and your team the rest of the way. Uh, I can't wait to see where this all goes, because in addition to this being a really tight MVP race, we've got a absolutely wild race for uh in the east and the west so have the sixers sent you any gift bags <laughs> nothing yet uh there's no yeah like it's a fun time of year to see what teams come up with creatively to promote their guys for awards um it, it what it usually means is i end up with a lot of stuff in my home office in my small brooklyn apartment that my wife is like uh all right where who's are we putting Laurie all marketing <laughs> yeah, who's, yeah, who's Laurie marketing <laughs> no the, the gift bag the gift bag you'll get from utah is just like a bag of yams and like that's it because marketing has been dunking on everybody this year yes. he's collecting bodies man <laughs> it is ridiculous yeah no no sixers graft yet or promotional materials um but but it's it's early it's early yet like the you know we don't we don't even really have the ballots in our hands yet but everybody who was asked to be part of the uh, the voting panel has been notified or asked if they're willing to participate, but the, the actual ballots from Ernst and Young or whoever's presiding this year have not, uh, not yet arrived. So there's time yet for the uh, teams to do 
all their lobbying, which by the way, again, just, I, I, I don't mind peeling back the curtain on these things. Like some teams are really active in that stuff and very creative and spend a lot of money. Some mm. don't. Um, I don't think it ever has that much impact on the actual vote. Um, they're fun to see. They're interesting. Um, and sometimes there's some good information, which, you know, any information that you can uh, use as part of the process is great. You mean like a statistics but, package you've received? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it'll often be like, here's like, cause they'll do creative ways of presenting it to you or sending it to you. And then, um, but then there's also like, here's the, fa- and here's the fact sheet and, you know, so that it's not just whatever random stuff bobbleheads or, or whatever. It's not bobbleheads, but it's like, I'm trying to remember things that have been sent over the years. Like, um, yeah, give us one. There was some, like, there was like, so Dwight Howard, of course, was, you know, fashioned himself as Superman. It might've been during his Houston years where we got sent a briefcase with a red cape inside and like some fake glasses or whatever, like not fake glasses, but just like, you know, drugstore glasses or something and some other stuff that was all supposed to be part of like the, 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 the Superman Clark Kent gimmick. And then there was probably a bunch of fact sheets stuffed in there too, about here's why Dwight is worthy of. This is when Leslie kind Alexander of genius. Told, <laughs> Leslie Alexander told basically. Yeah, but the problem is that I have this, do whatever they want. Then I have this, then I have this stupid briefcase sitting in my small Brooklyn apartment in a closet for years afterward. And then it's like every so often my wife's like, what are we doing with this thing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to just like throw it away and send it to landfill. Like, right, let's have a stoop sale. Maybe somebody will buy it for a dollar. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going, I'm going to the stoop sale, especially, <laughs> especially now with three point contests that he's in. There you go. Like, so there's just a lot of that kind of stuff, like just silly things. And um, they'll, but the teams will package the actual facts in there too, that with, you know, some, some sheets of, of uh, um, stats and whatever else and make the case. Um and sometimes it's as simple as a phone call. I'll never forget one of my favorites on, on this note is uh, years ago when Rick Carlisle was coaching in Detroit. I was still in LA at that time. It might have been that 03 04 season where the Lakers, who I was covering at that time, Lakers and Pistons ended up in the finals. Rick Carlisle called every voter, and I missed the call. And this is back before cell phones, um, or maybe it was not pre-cell phones, but at least pre-whatever smartphones. And I had a home phone that was my, my main business phone with an answering machine. Um, and so I got home and I pressed play. And on the Uh-oh. answering machine was like, hi, Howard, uh, uh, Rick Carlisle, uh, coach of the Detroit Pistons. Um, sorry I missed you. Yeah, uh, I just want to call because I, I, I want to promote some of our guys. You know, Ben Wallace has had an incredible year. And, you know, I really think he should get your vote for Defensive Player of the Year. You know, uh, Rip Hamilton, definitely worthy of all NBA. As you know, he's averaged 22 points a game this season. And and there was a whole, like, three-minute, four-minute presentation on my answering machine from, from Rick Carlisle because I had missed his call. I, and, like – Again, we still have the tape. Yeah, do you still have the tape? I do not have the tape. Film that with your phone. That's gold. Put it on Twitter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he must have called like every, and that was back when we had 120 to 130 voters. I don't know if he called call call list. Warm leads. Holy moly. So that was, that was, that was something. Again, like I appreciate those gestures from teams and from people advocating for their guys. Um, You hear that, Daryl? Difference in the end or not. (laughs) Well, I, I like, I think making, a constructive case is always better than putting people on their heels um, by, by attacking or saying, you know, if you vote against our guy, you're against freedom. Right. So was Darren um, receptive to that? You said you had like a DM with him. No, we, no, we've talked in person a couple of times. On okay. this, actually. Um, uh, maybe, maybe as recently as within the last 24 hours. Um, oh, and um, no, no, we, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get into that specifically um, about, 
about method or about what's most persuasive. Um, I, I had chastised him some time back about the stuff with the, with the all-star stuff and the, the whole Boston, whatever. Um, but, um, but no, we've talked about this stuff. I mean, I, this isn't, you, you had the question earlier. Um, I'll, I'll, I don't think I completely answered it, but I, I, if I'm put off by the way somebody's going about it, it's still not going to affect the way I vote in the end. Cause like, I don't, I don't want, like none of this stuff should affect it. Like in the end, like everything else is just noise and you sit down and you still just look at, again, the same things, the stats, the, 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 the team situation, the wins, the course of their season, everything. The two-way like, player with the best jump shot. What? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. But, but I, but I, like I can be annoyed by the discourse, but not have it affect me. Um, like it, 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 it it's because in the end, you don't want to be voting based on anything other than who's the most worthy based on your criteria. And someone's going to disagree regardless. Someone's going to be unhappy regardless. Um, I've, I've made, you know, like, like I say, Daryl and I have a great relationship and we can argue these things. It, it doesn't affect how, you know, the next time I see him or whether if I need to, need, you know, need to pick his brain about something or I'm working on a story and I need, doesn't affect any of that. And there've been years where he, agreed with my vote and agrees years where he disagreed with it. And, you know, um, I, I think the one thing I've been able to stand on and, and, and I, I hope I can always stand on this is that I try to be as fair and consistent as possible. So I'm not the guy that you can scream at saying, how come wins mattered this year, but not this year? Nope. Wins matter for me every time I voted for, I alluded to this earlier. I voted for James Harden the year that he lost to Russell Westbrook. I had Harden first on my ballot that year. I had Russell objectively correct pick in my opinion. And I had Harden first the year that he also won it. So I, I can't remember the other years, but I, I know those two specifically for sure. There are at least two years there where I had James Harden at the top of my ballot for MVP. And I have been consistent about the wins thing, which is why I did not have Russ at the top of my ballot that year. I did not have Jokic at the top of my ballot last season. Um, I disagree with my fellow voters and media members who have deviated from that precedent. I think that mm. precedent matters. Mm. I think in the NBA, the MVP should be from a team that matters. I don't think it's having a, a, a great statistical season on a second or third tier team. That's, that's me. I, people are free to disagree with that and they do. Um, but the one thing that, you know, I think Daryl has appreciated when we've had some of these debates is that I'm pretty consistent on this stuff. Um, and, you know, if, if people think, well, the media at large have not been consistent, well, again, I would go back to this. 100 voters, not always the same 100 voters. It's changed over the years and over the decades for sure. And everybody has their own criteria and their way of interpreting this stuff. So um, hopefully that at least helps your listeners a little bit to uh, understand <laughs> some of the, the, the process um, and to mystify it a little bit. Hopefully convince some folks that like there's no agendas, there's no grand conspiracies. Oh, on that, on that note, I should also point out there is also no hundred person conference call in which we all decide which way this is going. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I might call up a couple friends in media on some, on some of the more stubborn cases where I'll go, man, I'm really stuck between this and this. What are you, what are you thinking? And then not to, to, do what they're doing. It's not like you're reading off somebody else's homework. It's more like I, I, I needed some back and forth. I'm like, I'm thinking about going this way, but I'm feeling a little bit uncertain about it. What are you doing? Well, no, I'm going this way because of this. I'm like, ah, but, but don't you think what, I, and then you just have those discussions and you just kind of try to process it and kind of it helps clarify um, where your head is at and how you're making the decision. But that's one-to-one -one with a couple of people. Like, again, like there's the, the hundred people are all sitting in their individual, you know, homes at some point in the next couple of weeks, pulling, dropping down, pulling down a bunch of drop down menus um, and then hit and send to 
Ernst and Young or whoever's, uh, you know, uh, you know, presiding over this. And that's it. Like, so there's, you know, ain't, ain't no conspiracies. I'm sorry. It's not that interesting. <laughs> well, Howard, just, so you know, the, uh, the fruit basket from Liberty Ballers is on its way. Uh, I'm not entirely No, no, we got, sure we got to go weirder. We want his wife to say, what is this? <laughs> okay. All right. We'll figure out something of absolutely incredible and also quirky because I mean, so you, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Howard that is on the way. We're getting in touch with uh, Paul Hudrick right now. We're going to figure all this out. We'll make sure to get to see you. <laughs> Appreciate it, fellas. Good talk. Thank to you. you for, thanks Thank for you. joining us. We'll talk to you soon. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.